Welcome to the Girl Gang Conversations, a podcast that's all about connection, sisterhood, and having conversations that matter. I'm your host, Sarah Stars, and every week I speak to inspiring women about the nitty-gritty of how they live with passion and purpose. We dive deep into our journeys, the obstacles we've overcome, our dreams, what's working for us, and what isn't. We're totally honest about what we're learning, what our daily rituals look like, and what we're struggling with. We don't shy away from the hard stuff, and we really go into it all. Spirituality, personal development, magic, routines, career, friendship, relationships, sexuality, and so much more. The most powerful two words in the English language are me too, and it's my hope that these conversations help us all feel less alone. This isn't about preachy self-help or self-improvement. It's about self-acceptance and talking about the things that matter to us. Hello, and welcome to the Girl Gang Conversations, episode 50. You can access all of the show notes for this episode at Sarah Stars. that's S-T-A-R-R-S, sarahstars.com, slash podcast, slash 50. Today's interview is with Katie Dalebout. Through her blog, podcast, videos, and courses, Katie curates inspired wisdom that helps people to go deep and sift through the thoughts clouding their minds. She's the author of Let It Out, A Journey Through Journaling, and she helps people develop a positive image of their bodies by embracing their creativity and personality outside of their physicality. And she's on a mission to share journaling tools that invoke deeper authenticity and self-awareness. In this episode, we talk about her journey of using journaling in her recovery from an eating disorder, why she thinks journaling is such a powerful practice for personal development, what her journaling practice looks like, how to get the most out of journaling, and some of her favorite journaling tools that she shares in her book. Katie Delvout, hi, how are you today? I'm so good. Thank you so much for talking to me. Oh, well, thank you so much for being here. After I discovered your new book, I was absolutely um, enthralled with it. I am such a huge journaling fan, and and your book helps to really introduce that to people, but then also for people like me who have a longstanding journaling practice, I, I felt like it really helped me to take things deeper. So I'm really excited to dive into all of that today. And I just oh, good that makes me so happy. I just love to start out by getting to know people a little bit better by hearing about a typical day in your life, if there even is such a thing, and what are the routines or rituals that anchor your day. Oh, that's a that's a great question. Mm, you know, I I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and I wish that I had more of a typical day. I've never actually worked in an office before. I've been working from home my my entire career, so which is amazing. And I know lots of people in offices because the the grass is always greener. Are like, oh, I'd love to have the flexibility to be able to work from home, and I am totally so grateful for it but I think the choice can sometimes stifle me and I like less choice choice really stresses me out I guess is, is the thing and so sometimes you know on any given day I can wake up and be like well I could work from potentially anywhere I could go to a coffee shop or I could go to the library I could work at my kitchen table or in my office or you know at a friend's house whatever but sometimes all the different choice stifles me between that and like 
which time am I going to do my workout class and which workout class should I go to and should I walk to the place should I what should I wear should I wear a dress should I wear comfortable like something and I'm really getting like real with this which with which what's been really present for me this week which is like at when at a certain point you have to just like kind of choose something and create a path for yourself for the day Mm -hmm. and just do it and stick to it or you'll just be kind of like figuring out what you're doing the entire day instead of like doing the stuff um so I do try to figure it out the night before where I'm going to go, you know, what tasks I'm going to do first, because when there's so much that needs to get done and, you know, you have time to do it, but there's just so many different things, it can be, you know, it can kind of take you out if you don't actually make some plans the night before. So that's that's what I've been trying to do lately, but the things that really anchor my day excuse me as I like take a sip of water right now but that's the first thing like I I wake up in the morning I like to wake up pretty early and I'll always drink a bunch of water and then I you know just kind of brush my teeth um and I'll usually meditate pretty early on in the morning I might do a couple other things first um but I do TM meditation so that's what kind of anchors my morning and evening I'll do 20 minutes of meditation in the morning and then what I do after that kind of varies but in the summer it's usually like a walk listening to a good audiobook or a podcast and um you know just kind of being in the sun for a while I might meditate after the walk or sometimes I'll go to and this is more in the fall and winter to a yoga class or a bar class or Pilates class early in the morning sometimes I like doing that kind of forces me to get out of bed early so I like that and then I'll really just get dressed and I always get dressed even though I do work from home because it well I'll say on a good day on 95% of the time I I get dressed because I really think you know it it helps me to feel like I'm actually starting the work day if, instead of like being in my like athleisure clothes mm-hmm. and which is great sometimes and I love having that flexibility but if I do it too much it doesn't feel special anymore and I think when you're like wearing yoga pants for the day it's kind of like you're choosing it's going to be like a yoke that's a choice you know like it's going to be a yoga pants kind of a day so I, I try to get dressed every day and then you know I, I'll just do my work for the day take breaks here and there go on walks whatever and then at the end of the day, I do kind of the same thing. If I didn't go to a class in the morning, I probably will in the evening, probably go on another walk. And then I do my second meditation for 20 minutes. And then then it's kind of like evening time and I try to not really work anymore. And I'll make dinner or go have dinner with friends and I'll like watch a movie. I try to watch a lot of movies because I find... Um, watching movies is really good for me and helps me to like feel feelings and it's just good for me. So I'll try to watch a movie or a TV show or something. Um, and then before bed, I do a, a little bit of journaling sometimes just something like very simple, uh, kind of a gratitude practice and I'll, I'll go to bed. That that's basically it. That was really long. I hope that that wasn't too granular, but no, I love hearing the, all the nitty-gritty details, and I can relate to a lot of it. I just started working from home again this year, and I 
have been finding it really helpful to spend some time with my journal in the evenings to plan the next day and even you know like allowing for some spontaneity in there but I found without doing that without kind of knowing you know where did I want to be working from what did I want to be accomplishing what did I want my self-care to look like that the kind of like you say the wide openness of it all what made things feel a little bit like wishy-washy and like I wasn't necessarily kind of showing up for my day in the way that I wanted to because it was easy to get lost in all of that choice so I can really really relate to that yeah yeah I think I would just kind of and I and I'm not it's not like I would like I, I still do this from time to time even if I do plan it I'm kind of like well I could work from that coffee shop if I work <laughs> there I need to wear like this outfit and if I walk I should wear those shoes and they don't go with that outfit and like just like little dumb things like that and I and then I like an hour would pass where I'm kind of just like procrastinating essentially because I just don't really know where to go and what to do and you know too much choice I think there's we only have so much decision making power and so if I use it on those little things it, it takes away from from other things that's why they say really successful people like Steve Jobs and He's the one that's coming to mind, but I'm sure there's others like would wear essentially the same thing every day and, um, you know, eat the same thing for breakfast. And so I definitely, definitely relate to that and feel like that's something I want to, you know, have in my life. Absolutely. And it's definitely been something I've resisted in a lot of ways. Like I love variety and I'm definitely not much of a minimalist, but for some reason recently, and maybe it is the overwhelming amount of choice in my life, I've really found that eating the same meals really consistently and having quite a a small selection of things that I like to wear throughout the week even though personal style is important to me and I might accessorize them differently like taking a lot of that choice out of my day I think is freeing up more space Mm. for me to to do the work that I want to do so I'm curious to ask a little bit about how you got into TM meditation and and why that's your particular flavor of meditation for for people who maybe haven't heard of it before yeah for people who haven't heard of it before it's transcendental meditation and it is well it became my flavor of meditation I think because it's the only one that stuck I guess Mm -hmm. I had tried to meditate a lot and and not tried I mean I guess I successfully had been here and there but it it was never I was never really super consistent with it I was kind of a sporadic meditator which is fine and you know I think that's great and and that can be wonderful but I really wanted a consistent practice and my mentor Gabrielle Bernstein had one of the um, people at the David Lynch Foundation who he's the, like the president who, um, you know, is teaching meditation to Jerry Seinfeld and um, all of these celebrities, Ellen DeGeneres, and like so many people who, who do meditation. And, and he, she met him one summer when they were like away and had a conversation with him on her YouTube channel. And I watched it and I was like, Oh, this, this guy's really great. And I told Gabby that, and she connected me with Bob Roth, this man, and I ended up having him on my podcast just because I was like, oh, this is fascinating, this TM meditation stuff. And Gabby was so jazzed about it. And her and her husband both got trained in TM meditation. And and by trained, like the only way you learn it is one-to-one. So you get taught one-on-one with a teacher 
and you get a mantra. So it's a very simple technique. It's just a simple mantra meditation where you get this mantra that's different for everyone. So everybody gets their own mantra and you, you know, it's just yours. You don't tell anyone. And it's just a, a meaningless phrase that your teacher gives you. And you learn to meditate with that 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the evening. It's very simple. And it's something that the structure of that really worked for me. I think because my life is so unstructured, I liked having some structure built into my life with that. So maybe that's one reason why it's stuck. And then you know, so, so anyway, so taking it back, so uh, Gabby had Bob on her YouTube channel, and I told Gabby how I really was interested in this, and she ended up connecting me with Bob, and I had him on my podcast. I host this podcast, and when I had him on, he was just so nice. He's, like, such a kind man, and he lives in New York now, but he actually used to live in Detroit where I live. So we had so much in common and he was just like so kind and generous and he actually gifted me getting trained in meditation and put me in touch with a teacher here that he knew when, when he used to live here. And I loved my teacher so much. She was just like so cool and I loved going to her house to get trained and really enjoyed my time learning meditation. And this is relatively recently. This was just in January of this year. So it hasn't even been a year. And I really loved the practice and I really loved getting to know my teacher and, and, and learning it. And it only takes four days to learn. And yeah, and I really, really enjoyed it. And it's just been something that I've, I've kept doing in my life since then. And I hope to do for the rest of my life. I love that. I know it can be a little bit controversial because it is quite expensive to be trained in TM meditation, but there is a charity in the UK and maybe there are in other countries as well that are doing it at a much reduced cost. And if you're unemployed or struggling financially, um, they'll make sure that they they find a a way of making it accessible to you. So that's changing for sure. There's lots of ways that, um, that you can learn meditation. And the reason why, you know, this is like totally not a PSA for TM, like if it works for you, great. If not, you know, whatever. But they, I just have gotten a lot of questions about it since I do it. And there are ways to learn for a reduced cost. And the reason why they they charge so much is because they are really adamant about paying their teachers well. Mm. So, you know, the people who can pay it, you know, pay that. And it's really important for them to to be able to teach their teachers well and, and have them be paid because they really work to bring this type of meditation to schools to teach to young people to teach in inner city schools and and it's really important to the organization to be able to do that so anyway that's tm oh i love hearing that that's really nice um i had rebecca campbell on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and one of the things that i talked about with her was the the kind of magic and transformation that happens when we're really devoted to a spiritual practice like meditation. And I'm curious what kind of internal or life shifts you felt and experienced since having this really consistent meditation practice. Hmm, That's a nice question. Um, Well, like I said, I haven't even been doing it a year. I learned right at the end of December and we're having this conversation now in, I can't believe it, end of August. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, I think 
soon after I learned to meditate and was doing TM consistently, I remember telling my teacher, I feel like after I meditate, because I was, I was still kind of like, am I doing this right? I don't know. I'm not feeling the effects. Like, what's happening? And the thing that I told her was I, I was like, I feel like TM allows me to become more of myself. And that's something I really felt about journaling and why I am and was so passionate about journaling because that's my goal. It's not to be like anyone else anymore, although that's been my goal before. It's not to have things manifest in my life, although, you know, the things that I want to manifest would be lovely. Like, it's not about that anymore. I think my biggest, most clear goal right now is to just become more of myself, have more self-awareness and be that more in the world. So that's really what I've been focused on for the last few months. And I think what TM helped me to do and, and something that she told me was that, you know, there's so many people who practice TM, like Howard Stern and Lena Dunham and Ellen DeGeneres and all these people. And it's like, it's not that TM makes you anything else. It just makes you more you. It makes Howard Stern more Howard Stern. It makes us all more ourselves because I think it's just essentially spending some time with yourself. And that has been really important for me. And the other thing I think it's given me, which is the big reason why I wanted to do it actually is because of the stress relieving qualities. So it is something that helps you be less in that allostatic load. So we all go around with so much stress of the day, kind of in fight or flight. And even when we sleep, sometimes we don't sleep really well. And what Jerry Seinfeld says about TM is that, you know how you have like those two nights of year that you wake up and you feel well rested, but like the rest of the time, it's just kind of like, oh man, got to pull myself out of bed. He's like, TM kind of gives you that really deep rest every day, every time. So I think it's about that that rest that I allow myself for 20 minutes twice a day and the de-stress. And that's been really beneficial and really impactful for me because I I wouldn't allow myself that time if I didn't, you know, make it this non-negotiable for myself. And that that has really helped me. It my skin was breaking out really bad before or just, I mean, it has a bunch of times in my life. There's been multiple times it has, but it was again before I started TM. And then when I started doing TM consistently, my skin cleared up and it has stayed clear, knock on wood. Um, And it just, I can tell that it was the stress. Like I really think that it just helped me be a little bit less stressed. And I I had a lot on my plate during that time, especially launching my book and just different things. I was was like moving, launching my book, traveling a lot. A lot of things were were kind of going on at once. I was launching a new website. I was doing um, a new work thing. Like it was just a lot of things at one time. And I learned TM and I think it really helped me through that time with the stress. So I hope that answered your question. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a lot of really, really amazing benefits. 
So shifting into your zone of genius and talking about journaling, I'm curious to hear, I know you've been journaling for a really long time, so how did your journey with journaling begin and how has it evolved over time? Yeah, well, you know, I, I often say, you know, I'm not an expert in journaling. I'm just a cheerleader for it. I'm just an enthusiast of it because, like you said, it's really helped me in my life. And I actually... I wouldn't say I've been journaling for quite that long compared to a lot of other people. Like I didn't journal when I was young. I I didn't journal when I was a a kid or in high school. I came to it somewhat later in life. And it was when I was hitting one of my bottoms in life. I was going through something and at the end of college that was really challenging. And at the time I was surrounded by lots of therapists and coaches and mentors. And I was, I was in recovery from an eating disorder and my family and I had lots of people around me, but I still felt dreadfully lonely. And I think that that's the case for a lot of people. We can be surrounded by people, but still feel very much alone. And that's how I felt. And I, you know, I was in this place where like my life and my career felt like they were in this malleable place, graduating from college and trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And, and so I found myself reading a lot of self-development and personal growth and spirituality books because I'd kind of shifted away from focusing on dieting and exercise and health because that was my obsession before. And I just transferred that addiction right into personal growth and spirituality and and self-development, which became another addiction. And it was fine. And I think it served me and it taught me a lot. I often joke that like I gave myself a, a graduate degree, a master's degree in personal growth and, you know, positive psychology and spirituality and all of those things, which again are great. And I like as much as the next guy, just like health and wellness is great. And I like a green smoothie as much as the next guy. But I realized that it wasn't about, you know, making your diet super clean and perfect or making your, you know, thoughts perfect all the time. It's about making our life as a whole really beautiful and wonderful and having the contrast that being able to come come back after you take yourself out quicker. And and that was when I was, it was the end of college. I was just about to graduate. I was in recovery from my eating disorder. And I w- had a gift card to a bookstore. And I was in the self-development section, of course. And I was like, I got to spend this book, this gift card on something here. What am I going to buy? And I was like, none of this sounds good. So... I meandered on over to the stationery section and I bought this colorful journal and nobody told me to write in it. Nobody told me journaling would be good for me. I just intuitively was like, yep, I'm going to write in this. And I don't know. I just am. So I did. I, I started writing in this journal and I spent a lot of time that summer alone outside writing and being raw and honest and real and vulnerable and completely authentic with myself just in this journal that no one was going to read. And I don't know who I was writing to. Sometimes it was my coach or my therapist. Sometimes it was, you know, like a higher power or the universe or God. Sometimes it was just, you know, and I use those words interchangeably. You know, sometimes the word God can really like freak people out. It used to really freak me out or, you know, so anyway, that's what I meant. Not all different things, kind of one force. Sometimes it was just to myself and I was, it, it helped me process my experience. It helped me 
like I said before, get to know myself. It helped me develop self-awareness. And I don't know why, or I didn't at the time, but it made me feel relief. It made me feel cathartic. It, or it was cathartic to me. It made me feel less alone. And when I was able to be that vulnerable with myself, I was able to know myself better and then therefore take that vulnerability, take that realness I had with myself and bring it to my relationships, bring it to my creative work, bring it to my blog that I had at the time. And it was, it really kind of up-leveled everything for me. And so kind of years later or soon after, I started to share with friends, you know, when they were going through things or, you know, even with people I, I met from online, from my blog, I would kind of like here and there suggest journaling. I'd be like, you know, oh, you're going through that and kind of give my advice. And I'd be like, well, have you ever journaled? Like, I don't know. I do this like weird thing journaling. Like, what do you think? Have you ever journaled? And they were like, oh, no, you know, I'm not really a writer. I wouldn't have anything to say. And I was like, well, you know, I'm not really a writer and I don't really have anything to say, but I started doing it and somehow I felt relief. Somehow it was cathartic to me. So I kind of held people's hand through it and I would kind of give them a journaling exercise or I'd ask them a good question and then allow their intuition to come through and, and answer it. And I just told them to be honest and raw and real and see what happened. And eventually, like way after that, it led to a book of of journaling exercises. And that's what my book is. It's 55 journaling exercises, journaling prompts with personal essays by me about the different sections. So it's in these different sections from tools to get organized, tools to feel your feelings, tools to reveal tools, you know, for kind of everything. So anyway, that's a really long story of how the the book kind of came to be. Um, I love that. And I'm curious to hear, you know, you're talking about how important it is to get really honest through journaling and how you were cultivating this sense of self-awareness. And I'm curious, do you do anything in particular? Do you have practices or rituals that really help you get in touch with your intuition or what does that look like for you? Yeah, my practice is just journaling, honestly. Like the biggest way I hear my intuition is when I'm writing and it's different for everybody. I think some people really have a predisposition to really get a lot of joy and, you know, like inspiration from exercise or from being around other people or, you know, whatever. And I think that's why some people are exercise addicted. Some people are like kind of addicted to relationships. Like I don't have that predisposition to those things. I have the predisposition. I'm, a, I'm more of a thinker. So I think a lot of thoughts and I don't feel a lot of feelings as much. I really have to kind of get myself in touch to my feelings and my intuition. And I really do that through journaling because I think, you know, it's anytime we're present, we can hear our intuition. And, you know, some people can get present in all sorts of ways. And, and I can too, you know, when I'm in the shower or when I'm driving or, you know, sometimes I can be present in, in other situations, of course. But journaling it's one of the few things in our culture now that is so multitask oriented, meaning, you know, you can be on a walk and also driving, or I'm sorry, you can't be walking and driving, I guess, yet, <laughs> but you can be on a walk and also listening to a podcast and also checking your email and also, you know, eating an, an apple or something. You, know, you mm -hmm. could be doing all those things at the same time, potentially, and I'm sure that I have. 
but you can also, you know, do that when you're working, you can be listening to music and doing 10,000 tasks at once. And like, I think, and I'm very guilty of this myself, like we're kind of constantly multitasking in this society. So journaling is one of the few things that you have to be completely single focused to do it. You have to be only journaling. You have to be present and it forces you to look at yourself. It, it puts that mirror up in your face, which is, I think, why people are so resistant to it, which is why I wrote the book and, and why I'm resistant to it sometimes. Because sometimes it's like, I don't want to feel what's going on. I just want to cope. I just want to watch a movie. I just want to distract myself. But And that's fine. Nothing's wrong with that. But eventually, you're going to have to feel those feelings. You're going to have to process what's going on or else it's going to get stuck somewhere in your body in your life and so anyway that's that's why I think it's so impactful and I'm curious to hear more you mentioned having a kind of quick evening gratitude practice but is your journaling practice really structured or do you let it flow differently from day to day what does that look like for you right now oh I totally let it flow and I suggest other people do too. You know, I, I, when the, especially when the book first came out, I was like doing a lot of radio shows and podcasts and and talking a lot about it. And people would always ask me, you know, what do you suggest people do when like blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, you know, we have so many wellness practices and things we're supposed to do, like make your green smoothie and drink lots of water and do some exercise and meditate and blah, 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 blah. And I was just like, exhausted by all of it and I didn't want to add another thing for people even though I think journaling is like a lovely thing to add to your daily practice however I don't journal every day and how can I ask other people to if I don't and so I think that journaling for me is something I do when I feel like I really need to it's when I feel like I'm pregnant with an emotion or an experience that I need to process or something that I just won't need to work through with myself. That's, that's really how I journal. And then I also kind of do some maintenance journaling, just like, you know, I, I see a therapist and I do that, you know, sometimes it's like, I have something I need to talk to her about. And other times it's like, I'm just going to see what comes up. And so I, I journal kind of in that same way. And I think journaling can make your therapy deeper. It can make your coaching if you're working with a coach deeper it can make your relationships deeper because you're kind of able to skim away the top of the pond and get to the clear water underneath I use that analogy in my book and you can kind of work through the stuff on the surface and then kind of go deeper in those other areas so for me you know I I journal here and there when I feel like I need to process something sometimes it's in the morning before I start work and you know I might spend more time with it on the weekends when I have more time to myself. But something that I do pretty consistently is every evening, like you were saying that, that you mentioned, I, I do essentially, there's a, there's a practice in my book called the happy, thank you, more please tool. And it's based off of my favorite movie. And it's just really about seeing gratitude every day. And it's probably my favorite tool in the book, but what I do at night is, is I, and this is, there's a gratitude tool in the book that I call is like, the gratitude tool to end all gratitude tools because it has like every type of gratitude practice I've ever heard of laid out. And the one that I do or I'm doing lately, and this sort of shifts for me, but 
I've just been writing down 10 things every day in a little notebook by my bed that I'm grateful for and why, well, sometimes I write down like why I'm grateful for them. Um, but sometimes I just write down the 10 things and I try to make them different every single day. And then I write down three things that went well that day. So it could be like, oh, I got that parking spot or, you know, my hair day was great. Or like, I missed that meeting, but it was actually good. I missed the meeting because blah, blah, blah. whatever it is, like the three things. And then I, but they have to be that day. And then I write down three things that I'm excited about doing tomorrow because that helps me get out of bed in the morning when I really just want to sleep. And I have a real tendency for melancholy and, and I have to really kind of work at my bright, cheery nature. And so that helps me get out of bed in the morning if I write down what I'm excited to get out of bed for. So, you know, it might be as simple as I'm really excited to wear that new outfit or I'm really excited to eat that thing for breakfast or I'm really excited to see this person I'm getting dinner with later or I'm really excited to, you know, whatever it is. It, it just, it can't be like I'm really excited to, you know, do that Excel document. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. something I know I'm like, yeah, it will feel good to have that done, but like I'm not excited to do it, but I know I have to do it today or whatever it is. It's like that's not the thing I'm going to write down. Right. It's <laughs> not your to-do list. Right. I don't let it become a to-do list. That's the thing I was trying to say. Thank you. I think that'll be so refreshing for people to hear. Like, first of all, that there is this kind of simple and empowering way that you can journal every day, but that also you don't need to necessarily get really deep um, and write pages and pages every day because it, if that works for you and that's kind of like a practice that I'm in right now, that's amazing. And if you love morning pages, that's amazing. But like yeah. you said, like, I think we need to choose the practices that are most powerful and most potent for us right now, because otherwise I think our spiritual practice and our wellness practices, like you said, they just become this really long to-do list. And when I'm in that phase of trying to do it all, like, and, you know, do all the things that are going to make my life so amazing. Instead of life feeling amazing, it just feels like very monotonous and like I'm going through the motions of all these things that are good for me. And it just gets to make me a bit resentful when there's not a lot of room for spontaneity. Yeah. And I mean, I love morning pages and you have my book and you mm -hmm. know, the first tool is like about morning pages and I've gone in and out with my practice of morning pages of like doing them and then not doing them. And, and, you know, I always feel better when I do them. <laughs> so I think morning pages is a fantastic practice and sometimes I don't get to it right in the morning. And, and so, which is like not the technical Julia Cameron way, but I'll do it a little bit later in the day and it's fine, you know, and sometimes I only do my morning pages on the weekends or whatever. I, I'm just really fluid about all of it, but I think having structure is great sometimes, you know, yeah. I think it just kind of depends. I totally agree. And it's like they're, all of these things, like the journaling, the green juice, the yoga, like they're all recommended as daily practice for a reason. Like when we do them consistently, of course they help us feel amazing, but I think it's when we pile so much on our plates or like you say, have these really rigid expectations. And again, the structure and the expectations can be important for different reasons. But if we hold ourselves to them too stringently, instead of saying like, oh, I didn't get to do my morning pages till the afternoon, or I only do them on the weekends, like as if that somehow becomes like a, it, it can so easily become like a moral issue like we think we're bad people or that we need to be guilty because of that when really it's just being human yeah oh my gosh totally and and that's the same thing like if I you know miss something that I wanted to do it's like oh it's not a big deal if I you know I I missed a meditation in the afternoon recently because 
I, it doesn't matter. This is like not an interesting story probably for people, but I just was like going to a concert that night and my friend came over and like, I just didn't even think of it. And then like the next morning I was like, oh my God, did I meditate yesterday afternoon? And I was like, oh, I didn't. Whoops. And instead of like, you know, at first I, I would, I kind of was like, this is terrible, blah, blah, blah. Like, and then I was like, wait, it's not a big deal. The reason I meditate is so, because I like the way I behave after I meditate and I like the way I feel. And like last night I felt fine and I went to the concert and I had a good time. Like I didn't need to yesterday. It was fine. It's not to say like, I'm going to be like, Oh, no hands. Like I don't need to meditate ever again. I was fine at the concert, but like I was fine that time. And I just like got back to it the next day and it was fine. Like wasn't a big deal. And it wasn't even like a choice. I just genuinely forgot. So I think it's like, you know, just being, gentle with yourself and not making yourself wrong, not beating yourself up because at the end of the day, we do this stuff for us. So to be mean to us about not doing it is just so counterproductive. Totally. And it's a good perspective shift. Like if you told anyone else, like you're telling me now, like obviously you kind of got into a better perspective of it not being a big deal. But if we were to like tell our best friends, like, oh my God, I'm a terrible person. I missed my meditation yesterday. And that means this and this and this and everything's going to fall off the rails. I'm sure they'd be like, whoa, like you had a really good time with your friend for 20 minutes. It Like those 20 minutes that you would have been meditating, it's not a crisis. And right. everyone else would have more of a perspective than sometimes it's, it's not as easy for us to have that perspective. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. 100%. So I know when we hear other people talk about the spiritual practices that have been really transformed for them, and then we aren't necessarily getting the same results. And every obviously not every practice is for every person, but I'm curious when it comes to journaling, like if you have any top advice in terms of is there anything we need to avoid doing if we're going to get the most out of journaling like is there a way to journal wrong uh yes and no I think there's no way I always say there's no way to do it wrong except to filter yourself so Mm. I think if you're filtering yourself and you're writing for someone else as if someone else is going to read it and you're um you know really kind of making it something that, you know, you want someone to like you or something like that, or or you're trying to make it too good almost. Like you're trying to like make it poetic or something that you can use, you know, on your blog or something like that's all fine and good, but that's not journaling. That's writing a blog post, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It can also be cathartic, but I think with, and it's fine to like take ideas from your journal and then turn that into a blog post or turn that into a conversation with a friend or something. But I think when you're actually journaling, it's important to really not do it for anyone else and take away that fear of someone else reading it. Because when you are allowing yourself to be completely authentic and vulnerable and real, that's when the magic can happen where you can have this clarity and self-awareness that you might not have previously had. So I think that the only way to do it wrong is to do it for someone else and not for yourself. And then, you know, people have asked me often, like, what is the difference between a diary and a journal? And I think like a diary to me, and I don't know what the like actual different definitions are, but to me, I look at diary writing more as like, this is what happened, Mm -hmm. recounting it. Whereas journaling is more, this is how I feel about what happened. And these are my thoughts and feelings around it. And just being really authentic and vulnerable and real. And I think that 
the journal is one of the few places where you can do that because even with a very close safe friend or a therapist or someone you know that you feel very safe with I find for me even with those people I'm kind of a people pleaser and I want people to like me a lot so I get into this pattern of changing what I'm saying because I want them to like me <laughs> or I don't want them to judge me or I'm afraid so with journaling it takes away all that fear so that's the only way you can do it wrong is to not capitalize on the fact that this is just for you I think that's such good advice and I really loved in your book how you talk about how kind of not precious you are about journaling like the fact a lot of the times you're journaling on legal pads and that you even throw some of them away rather than trying to create this kind of perfect poetic document like obviously like you said you might have these aha moments or threads of ideas that come through in this intuitive way that you can develop into something later on but it's not really about even trying to do that or trying to make it beautiful in the first place it's really about excavating and honesty and and being really radical open radically open with yourself exactly yeah I mean you just said it and my best ideas have come journaling a lot of the time, but it's usually on a legal pad and crossed off and something that I've thrown away since, but I'll kind of mine my old journals for ideas and things that I want to kind of hang on to. And then I toss them because Mm. I don't need them anymore. They were just to kind of help me go through something. And there's a lot of times where there aren't any gems to mine. It's just like all processing something and I just toss it. Yeah, and I mean, that feels like really like the morning page thing or like the way you call it, like the skimming the scum off the pond. Like it's just, even if there's there's no gems in it, but at least it's out of your brain now and it's leaving you clearer and more focused and ready to to do whatever you need to do. Exactly, exactly. I'd like to like elaborate a little bit on something you said earlier, and that was this hesitation that people have around journaling that maybe they don't feel like they're writers. And obviously, I mean, journaling is probably not for everyone in the sense that there are some people who really struggle to communicate in writing at all. But for the, like, I think you say really wonderfully in the book, like we're all writing text messages and emails these days. And since this isn't about showing anyone or being poetic, um, there's not a huge amount of worry about whether or not you can write articulately as long as you can kind of express yourself. And some of your journaling prompts in the book, you can even do in your phone or in different kind of non-journaly mediums. And I'm curious, like, do you have any kind of pep talk or, or whatever that you give to people who are really concerned that they're not writerly enough to, to journal? Yeah, I mean, you kind of said part of it right there. I think the journaling is essentially writing as you speak. You know, I'm much more of a audio learner and I'm much more a verbal processor than I am a writer or reader even. So for me, journaling works because I'm just writing how I speak. It's it's very, very simple for me in, in that respect. And then, you know, I think finding what works for you. My One of my good friends, Jordan Bach, he really loves voice journaling. So he'll, he lives in New York City and he'll like put his phone to his ear And he, like, my book is called Let It Out. He lets it out as he's walking down the street. And he pretends he's on the phone. Um, And that works for him, you know. And he'll do the exercises in my book like that. And I think that that works for some people. I think another thing that works for people is 
just looking at it as if you were like writing a letter or writing a text message or an email, like anybody can do those things. We have to do them all the time. So this writing is not much different than that. And I think that that's another thing to kind of think about that can make it less intimidating for people. And, you know, and then the other thing we were talking about before that, like nobody has to read this. So it doesn't have to be good. Your writing doesn't have to be great. If you really hate your writing and you can't get out of your mind about that, do it on your computer, do it on your phone. The tools in my book are meant to be done in all different places. So it really doesn't, doesn't matter. So shifting gears a little bit, there's such a cool story of manifesting and surrender behind the publication of your book. And I'm curious if you could tell us about your personal beliefs about manifesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a lovely question. I, I believe in manifesting for sure. I've seen it work in my life a bunch of times and I always, I think it's all about connecting in and plugging in to source to, you know, some people call it source, God, the universe, being in the flow. Like it's all about getting yourself in the flow. And when you are in the flow, manifestation is easier. And when you are in the flow and you're clear on what you want, things, there's a speeding up of things that happens and things start to come into your life very quickly. And I've seen that happen in my life. I was first introduced to manifestation from the movie, The Secret. Are you familiar with that? I haven't seen it, but yeah, I'm familiar. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, it was also a book and there's a, people, you know, say lots of different things on it. And, and it was actually brought or it was inspired by the work of Abraham Hicks. And there's kind of like a whole story with that. And I'm a big student of Abraham Hicks, which, you know, people can Google, give a quick Google if they're, if they're curious in the, on what that is. Cause it's kind of hard to explain, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, when I found the secret, I was doing like, you know, the standardized tests that, that we have to take at least here in the, in the States for, um, the college entry exams. Yeah. I, I did really poorly the first time I took the exam. I wasn't, I didn't apply myself and like, we had to like take it at school and I was like, oh, this is like a free day. I just, this doesn't count towards my schoolwork. Like I'm just gonna, I, I just like didn't do well on it and I didn't really apply myself when I was taking it. And then I was like, oh, no, my score is not very high. And so I was in, like, a uh, tutoring um, program for it. It, was, it wasn't a program. It was, like, this woman's house who lived in my neighborhood that I would go over to after school, like, every once in a while. And she was, like, this old woman who lived in this, like, adorable house. She had, like, totally white blonde hair that looked like Marilyn Monroe. Like, she was so cool. And she would give me snacks she would like make me the best snacks and like homemade muffins or like just was so cool I loved going over there and I would study for this test and just kind of like it wasn't wasn't very long of a period between taking the first test and the second test maybe like a month so this is like very short period of time that I was studying and it was like once a week but I loved it and it always stuck with me and the night before I was supposed to be taking the exam she handed me a movie and it was the secret. And I watched it with my mom that night, like while we were eating dinner. And I remember being like, Whoa, my mind is powerful. And I just totally bought into all of the, you know, what you think you become and just think positive. And I understood why she gave me the the movie the night before I was watching or I was taking the exam. 
and I did really well. My my score went up and I don't think that it was because I studied equations or like vocabulary than for like three weeks before with her. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like mostly eating snacks and like daydreaming during our <laughs> session. So like I think it was because of the power of my mind and applying myself and like actually trying. Um, and so that, that was kind of, that kind of planted the seed and then I kind of forgot about it here and there. And then, you know, it kind of came back into my life during that period I, I was talking about before where I was healing the eating disorder and I kind of got back into personal growth and spirituality through my mentor, Gabrielle Bernstein's work. And she was a, you know, a student of A Course in Miracles and The Secret and, you know, or not The Secret necessarily, but more Abraham and manifestation. And so I I was like, Oh yeah, that stuff does work. And I just got more into it. And then I I found more people in my life who are also, you know, believe in manifestation. And and it's not really like, I I really kind of think it's not believing or not believing. Like I, I truly think I'm like, no, it's just law. Like, right. It is just the law of attraction. And it's just like gravity. Like, it's not really something I believe in. It's just like, I don't believe in gravity. I just know gravity exists because I'm not floating. And I know that if I have clarity and apply myself and think positively and focus, I'll get what I want. And if I don't, it, that's why it's not here yet, you know? And so I just so believe that and know that and 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 really trust that in, in the universe and that, you know, there's a power greater than me supporting me that I can communicate with and have a relationship with if I am in the flow and I am plugged in. And so I try to just connect myself every day. And I, I, I really visualize this, this image of me just like with, you know, God or the universe, whatever, just kind of like, hold on to my hand, you know, like hold on to my hand, not because it's wanting to be, you know, needing it for like the ego of the universe. It's like the universe knows that if I worship something else over my relationship with a power greater than me, it will leave me feeling empty. If I worship fame or if I worship food or I worship my body or I worship, you know, another relationship or I worship work, all these things I've worshiped before. Like, and when I say worship, I just mean like I've made most special in my life. It always leaves me feeling empty. So I try to hold on to that relationship first before everything else and it can make everything else better if that made any sense at all that makes lots of sense I think that's um quite a powerful story of your own personal journey with manifesting and I'm curious if you could say a little bit more about what it means to get in the flow like if there's anything you do to get in the flow in particular and what that kind of feels like for you it's a lot of controlling your thoughts and I think that kind of comes from being aware of what they are. We have 60,000 thoughts a day, but a lot of them are repeat thoughts, things we're thinking on repeat, worries, fears, negativity. So it's about, you know, acknowledging your thoughts, figuring out what they are, and then letting them go. And that that's really what I try to do is vigilantly watch my thoughts. And that's a practice. It's challenging, but I do things and I surround myself by good people and I I genuinely just try to make myself feel really happy and good. I don't think that you can get back into the flow when you're out. I think you kind of have to fall in. It's not really something you can 
move into. It's something you kind of have to fall into. And I do that. I fall into it by having fun and being around people that make me feel good and avoiding things that don't make me feel good and getting out of the house as much as I can. Being around people is really good for me. Also spending time, you know, with myself positively. I think it, it's just doing all sorts of things like that, I guess. Mm, that makes so much sense to me. It feels like a, a lot of it, at least for me, is about really being in integrity with my desires and my beliefs and my values. And then without really meaning to, because like you say, you can't force it all of a sudden, if I'm really focused on staying in that place of integrity and authenticity, all of a sudden I found I've slipped back into the flow and things feel better again. Yeah, I mean, I think it's about that. And I think it's about just if you make yourself really happy, your life starts to flow in a way that also makes you happy. Yes. I love the thing that Gabby says about dwelling in joy and how you're kind of a magnet if you're dwelling in joy. So exactly. When it comes to your own personal development, what are you working on learning or implementing right now? Hmm. I am always learning. I think lately I've been learning presence and really feeling my feelings my therapist told me somewhat recently that I am really like it not in touch with feelings and I, I used to be like wait what I, I feel all my feelings I feel so many feelings and oh my god like I kind of ran around like that but she really pointed out to me and that's why you know working with others is so beautiful she pointed out to me that I'm actually not feeling my feelings I'm thinking my feelings. So I'm very in my head about my feelings. I'm not really feeling them in my body or connected to like how they're making me feel emotionally or in my body. So I'm working on trying to be more in touch with my feelings and not just thinking so much. So to do that, it's more like out of my head living and living in the present and like being more rooted into my body and like using my body to feel what's going on and, and sense my intuition and and that's what I'm what I'm trying on now, which is a, a shift from how I've been living. Mm, and what's helping you to feel more embodied? Um, that's a good question. I I, I don't know. I, I think checking in and just trying to be more present and like being aware of like, oh, I'm thinking right now. One thing for me that like when I'm exercising, I like really disassociate from my body. So I'm like, oh, this is like kind of painful in my core, this you know, ab thing I'm doing in Pilates right now. And so I'll like think of my to-do list for later instead of like being there when I'm doing it. So I like do it improperly. Like I'll, um, you know, I'm not, in, yeah, like improperly, like I'm not engaging the right muscles or, you know, my best friend is a Pilates teacher. So she is really good at, you know, we do like a lot of like private lessons with each other and, or her to me. And I'll be like, instead of engaging my core in a core thing exercise, I'll be like engaging my hip flexor because that's the bigger muscle or the muscle that's more strong and doesn't need to be like worked in that exercise. But I'll engage that because I'm not paying attention. I'm in my head. I'm thinking. I'm thinking about a conversation. I'm thinking about like a joke to make to my friend. Like I'm just thinking. And so this is just like a small example, but it's a good example for me to be like, oh, I'm in my head. I'm not in my body at a time of my, the day that I should be in my body. And even though it's challenging, even though it's painful, I should be there. Just like, and then I can kind of use that as an example of being like, oh, when I'm in my 
head and not in my body with like a feeling. I should like feel the feeling, even though it's negative, even though it makes me sad, like be there with the sadness for a minute. Let, let myself cry, whatever. And then I can move through it. And it's same thing with happiness. It's like, if I'm feeling really joyful and really elated, like I need to not just be like, Oh my God, this good thing is happening, but I'm going to think about it and I'm going to like work over it. I need to just like be there and feel it and celebrate it or it won't feel like it actually happened. So I'm really just kind of working on doing that with, with both things. Hopefully that makes sense. I can relate to all of that so much. My mantra for this month was, or is, uh, stop thinking and start feeling. And obviously we can't stop thinking, but it was just a daily reminder to myself to really prioritize right now to be in that feeling space rather than constantly being my head, trying to constantly analyze and rationalize and logic with my way through everything and just to really let myself feel. And I was really um, recently listening to this interesting podcast episode on the Happy Sensitive podcast that I'll link to in the show notes that was talking a lot about how Um, a lot of different types of exercise can kind of encourage us um, to kind of dissociate from the body. And the the two movement practices that I've been finding super helpful for being more in my body because they are, I mean, they are exercise, but they're really more about being aware of bodily sensations and and Mm -hmm. cultivating good feelings in the body are Koya and Shi Flow Yoga. And those have both been really amazing for me because Oh my gosh, send it to me. I will. Send me the podcast and send me a link to those things because... I want to try. <laughs> yeah, they're both amazing. So the question that I ask everything, everyone, and it can be absolutely anything. It doesn't have to be serious. It can be totally frivolous or it can be the most serious thing in the world. But what's one thing that you're obsessed with these days that's making your life better? Ooh, what am I obsessed with that's making my life better? Oh, gosh, so many things. I mean, the first thing that popped to mind, which is like kind of silly because we're on one, but I'm pretty obsessed with podcasts. I feel like that's kind of all I do between editing and listening and recording my own and going on a lot of walks where I'm listening to other people's. I love podcasts. They definitely make my life better. They help. It's it's great because I can see myself in other people mm-hmm. and that's really helpful. So yeah, I, I think I'd say podcasts. I love that. Do you have a favorite one to listen to right now? Oh, yeah. So many. I mean, I'll shout out a couple, but I really like comedy podcasts. Um, You Made It Weird with Pete Holmes is is one of my favorites for sure. I also really love the Love Alexi podcast um, by Alexi Wasser. And I'll just leave it at those. Oh, one more. My friend Jessica Murnan has a podcast called The One Part Plant, and I love her and I love her podcast too so those three I think will keep people busy for a while (laughs) amazing and so as we wrap up how can people work with you or support your work yeah I think just like find me online you know just give me a quick google and you'll basically get everything you need or I'm sure you'll have it in the show notes but I'm at Katie Dalebout on Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat which I love and I'm on YouTube too And then also, you know, the best way to keep in touch with me is through my podcast, I guess, um, which is called Let It Out with me, Katie Dalebout. And my book is also called Let It Out. And I would really love people to to check out the book. I'm really proud of it. And that's a great way to 
to check out my work. And then the best way to stay in touch is to sign up for my email list. So when you sign up for my email newsletter, you get my, I always say this in my Oprah Winfrey voice, Katie's favorite things. And so it's like a, it's a, it's a guide of everything I'm obsessed with. Um, so it's my favorite podcast, my favorite quotes, my favorite foods, my favorite videos, my favorite everything all in this curated guide. So you get that when you sign up for my email list and then you're on my email list. So you know, like all the things that I have coming out and coming up and it's only, you know, I only send out an email once a week and it's like all content. I never sell anything. I don't have anything to sell. I mean, I guess the book, but I don't sell that in my email. <laughs> it's just like at the store. So amazing. Thank you so much, Katie. Thank you so much. It was lovely to talk to you and you're a wonderful interviewer and thanks for having me on your show. Thank you. You can find the show notes for this episode at sarahstars.com slash podcast slash 50. Did you know that you can support this podcast on Patreon? Other crowdfunding sites like Kickstarter raise money for a single big event like launching a book. Patreon is designed for creators who put out smaller, consistent work. Think bloggers, illustrators, and podcasters. And of course, the people that love what they do. Patrons get access to an online clubhouse with exclusive content, never-been-released episodes, and special Q&A sessions. There are awesome interviews, a 40-day e-course about self-love, and meditations that you'll get access to as soon as you make your first pledge. You're in charge of how much you pledge each month, and you're welcome to cancel your patronage whenever you want. No questions asked. I'll promise I'll still love you. Check it out at patreon.com slash sarahstars. Next week's interview is with Bianca Osborne. Bianca is a menstrual and fertility coach for energetic women like you who are ready to love their cycle and step into their feminine power. It's her mission to help women balance their hormones, regulate their cycle, and help them create a vibrant, effervescent life of their dreams. We'll be talking about her journey, of course, but also how we can reclaim our health and stop looking for answers outside of ourselves. We'll dive into many of the most common reproductive health issues women struggle with and the insights Bianca has to share about them. And we'll talk about the wisdom that we can gain from our menstrual cycle and what it can teach us about our bodies and lives. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Until then, grab your girl gang and have a conversation that matters.